All right, well, welcome back to our study in systematic theology. We are on number 38, Common Grace. Uh, last time we looked at uh, modern-day miracles, and this uh, next time we'll be looking at election and reprobation. Um, we'll follow our, kind of our usual uh, format here. I'm going to open us by reading a related article uh, to the subject, and I think it's helpful to introduce us. Then we'll pause, watch our video together, and then come back and go through uh, our overview sheet and look at our questions and discussion and uh, briefly look at our confession as well. Um, and hopefully have some good discussion on it. Thankfully, I remember my glasses because the article is very small print. <laughs> All right. The doctrine of common grace encompasses the biblical teaching about the universal and undeserved goodness of God toward sinners. By common grace, God restrains sin, evil, misery, and wrath in this fallen world, while conferring general, non-redemptive blessings on all mankind. As distinguished from special or saving grace, common grace is a necessary aspect of the continuance of life in this fallen world. It restrains evil and confers goodness on mankind as a whole, reflecting God's attributes of goodness, mercy, and justice. God confers common grace on mankind to encourage sinners to repent and trust in Christ. On Judgment Day, the common grace experienced by the unrepentant and their failure to thank God for it will factor into their punishment. This doctrine has been the subject of no small controversy in over the past century, especially among Dutch Reformed theologians. The Reformed doctrine of common grace is implicitly taught throughout the scriptures. In short, common grace includes every <clears throat> undeserved providential act of God's restraint, goodness, and mercy toward the sinful inhabitants of this fallen world. The general principles of common grace are evident throughout scripture. And if you're taking notes, there's some scripture references. Uh, Psalm 145, 9, Ezekiel 18, 23, also 33, 11, Romans 2, 4, Acts 14, 16 through 17, and 1 Timothy 4, 10. The Lord Jesus taught one aspect of this doctrine when he appe appealed to God's goodness in sending rain and making the sunshine on the righteous and the wicked alike. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Luke 6, 35-36. The restraint of sin and evil is a particular work of God's common grace. God reveals that he has kept men from sinning against him, Genesis 26, but this restraint has limits, for there are times when the Lord ceases to continue his former restraint of sinners, Genesis 6, 3, Psalm 81, 11-12, Acts 7, 42, Romans 1, 24 through 28, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7. Common grace also enables the unregenerate to pursue virtue in their external and civil civic relations. Luke 6, 33, Romans 2, 14. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God's common grace operations in the world and on humanity as well as of the general operations and members of the covenant community, Hebrews 6, 4-5. The Reformed tradition understands this doctrine as a supplement to the doctrine of total depravity. Since man is pervasively depraved, no continuance of human history, development of culture, or growth in common virtue 
can occur without some operation of God's common grace. Despite the fact that all people are dead in trespasses and sins by nature, Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, God has not removed the general operations of his spirit from among them. He is constantly restraining evil and manifesting his goodness in this fallen world and among sin-cursed individuals. The Presbyterian theologian John Murray defined common grace as every favor of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which has undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. He suggests that common grace involves God's restraint of sin, divine wrath, and evil. It also functions to bestow God's goodness on men and to excite goodness from men. Common grace bestows goodness and beauty in the bounty of creation. By it, God bestows goodness to the unregenerate, enables them to want to do acts of common goodness, and produces non-saving influences of biblical truth on the minds of the unregenerate. The restraining function of common grace also suspends the imminent judgment of the wicked. Common grace is operative whenever God does not immediately destroy the wicked. Genesis 4, 14-16 However, those who do not recognize or thank God for his common grace will store up for themselves more severe judgment on the last day. The common grace purposes of both restraint and goodness are at work in the institution of civil government and the nuclear family. These two aspects of common grace can help explain why there is good in a pervasively fallen world. We must distinguish common grace from special grace. Though common grace is one means by which God carries human history forward, it is not an extension of saving grace by which God prepares men for conversion. Gerhardus Voss explains the way that common grace functions as distinct from saving grace. Common grace brings about no change in the nature of man as special grace does. Whatever may also be its external manifestations, it does not regenerate man. Common grace is also limited to making man receptive to the influence of the truth that works on him from his consciousness. It works pervasively by offering motives to the will and by making use of inclinations that are already present, not by creating new habits in man. It can certainly bring the external good still present in man to development, but it cannot produce what is spiritually good from that. It can cause the seed of external righteousness to germinate, but it is not capable of implanting the seed of regeneration. God makes use of means in giving both common grace and special grace. For instance, food is a means of common grace, as the spiritual food of the Word of God is a means of special grace. In both, God reveals aspects of His goodness, righteousness, power, and mercy to mankind. However, common grace differs from special grace, as general revelation differs from special revelation. Like general revelation, common grace is insufficient to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Reformed theologians have sometimes distinguished between three kinds of common grace, universal, particular, and covenantal. Universal common grace is the good that God manifests over all his creation. Particular common grace is the way in which God restrains and shows his goodness to particular individuals or people groups. Covenantal common grace is the ways that the Holy Spirit gives temporary gifts to the members of his church. 
It also involves the Spirit's granting the unregenerate members of the covenant community an experience of temporal spiritual illumination. Louis Barkoff explained that covenantal common grace is a grace that is common to all those who live in the sphere of the covenant, whether they belong to the elect or not. It is a grace that is not general, namely, the external privileges of those who are living under the administration of the gospel, including the external universal calling. At the same time, this grace, in distinction from general common grace, belongs to the economy of redemption. Covenantal common grace involves the influence of the Spirit of God on the minds and hearts of those who are baptized members of the covenant community, but who have not experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They may have intellectual knowledge of the scriptures and may appear to be true believers. However, as they are not savingly united to Christ, they are the branches cast into the fire and the tares sown among the wheat, Matthew 13, 24-30 and John 15, 2-6. In the realm of metaphysics and epistemology, Christian apologists sometimes appeal to the doctrine of common grace to explain the philosophy of history and also the antithesis between believers and unbelievers. In the 19th century, Abraham Kupier and Hermann Bavinck became two of the most widely recognized proponents of the doctrine of common grace, especially within the Dutch Reformed community. Anyway, so that's the introduction to what we're discussing tonight, and hopefully a helpful one. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and pause. We'll watch our video and then uh, come back to our overview. All right. We have just finished watching our video. Let's, uh, let's work through our overview and questions here, and we'll take a brief look at our confession before closing up. So number 38, common grace. Introduction. Grace is unmerited or unearned favor, according to the classic definition. Here we build on this understanding and make an important distinction between common or universal grace and special or salvific grace. Overview. A subdivision of theology is soteriology, a summary of the message of salvation as taught in Scripture. Salvation is viewed as rescue from calamity. At the heart of soteriology is grace. The contrast between grace and justice is plain and crucial. Justice is related to works and falling short of a standard or merit. Grace is unearned and God is never obligated to deliver it. See Romans 9. Grace is unmerited favor. The distinction between common grace and special grace is not as clear but also crucial. Common grace is, in a broad sense, given to all. God providentially causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He preserves his creation, and this is part of his ordinary grace. Christianity has had a powerful positive effect on the world. In just the past century, men and women have denied historic Christianity, but not wanting to be out of a job, they focused on dispensing common grace such as caring for the sick or poor. This amounts to a denial of special grace. However, we should not ignore either of God's gifts. In common grace matters, can we be co-belligerents with non-Christians? We join with those who have similar concerns in arenas of common grace. But in areas of special grace, like a worship service, we remain separate. 
Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God's love of benevolence is key to understanding verses such as these. All right, let's look, uh, look at our questions and answers to help us remember what we've learned. What does soteriology study? Salvation. Though the word is not commonly used in the church, it is the study of the message of salvation as taught in Scripture. What is grace? Unmerited favor. God was not required to show grace to anyone, but did because of his own voluntary, good, and merciful will. Should the church focus exclusively on areas of common grace, like feeding the poor? No. Both special grace and common grace are gifts from God to which we must be faithful to attend. What name is given to God's general love towards all mankind? Benevolence. This is demonstrated in that he causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. What has stimulated interest in bettering the human condition? The church. Science, hospitals, and orphanages, for example, blossomed under the oversight of committed Christians. What is God's love of complacency? His love for his son. It relates to his redemptive love that is chiefly focused on his beloved son and spills over to those who are in union with him. All right, let's look at our discussion questions. What's the difference between grace and justice? Grace is unmerited, and justice is related to works of fun short of the standard of merit. Right, so justice would be more based, it'd be based on merit, right, to some standard, whereas grace would be unmerited. All right, what's the difference between common and special grace? Well, common applies to society in general, and special grace applies to believers. Yeah, to his people. Um, and, and I think he's right. We've seen a lot of, of churches that either they don't get the balance right, right? They're focused on one or the other. They don't consider both. Um, how does the doctrine of common grace affect our evaluation of modern cultural issues? Right, so it, it affects, I think, uh, largely our thinking about our interaction with an unbelieving world, right, when it comes to these matters of common grace. Um, you know, there, there can be an overreaction to think that we should never partner with or work with a non-believer, or pagan or whatever, on, on any matter. But uh, I think it gave a pretty pretty good case that, that that isn't the way it should be, that when it comes to areas of common grace, um, we can stand with others um, as 
you know, like the example you mentioned of abortion, fighting for the, the rights of the unborn. Um, but that's, that's very different from issues of, of special grace, worship services and, and prayer meetings and church, you know, certain church functions. I mean, some church functions are used as evangelism tools, but um, ones that I would say aren't. That's where we separate. Okay, I did find one uh, area in our confession we'll look at real quickly that uh, briefly mentions common grace. Uh, if you have your confessions, you can look at it, but or you can just listen. But it is in chapter 14 of Saving Faith, and it's in paragraph 3, and there are um, some footnotes that you're, you're welcome to to look up on your own the scripture references. But let me read paragraph three. This faith, although it be different in degrees and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree of it different in the kind or nature of it, as is all other saving grace, from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. And therefore, though it may be many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. So it kind of mentions the, the I guess you could say, the distinction there of common grace. Not a whole lot of ink spilled in our confession on common grace, but that is one, one area. So uh, any thoughts, any questions, any discussion on what we've learned tonight and reviewed tonight? Was he talking about the focus that we've heard about a lot about social justice? Is that what he was referring to in the video? Yeah, and I think he was referring to uh, kind of the influence that's had, especially on the more liberal churches uh, in America. They've become more of social justice warriors than they have been churches, faithful churches. Um, but we've seen, like you mentioned, we've seen a backlash for that too. We've seen some churches that are overcorrecting by saying we're not going to have anything to do with, with any cultural or social issues because, um, because that's what the liberal churches do. We're going to focus solely on evangelism and, and talking about salvation and that's it. We're going to remove ourselves from anything that could be considered a, a common grace issue. Um, but as, as we see from our, our Lord's behavior, we should follow his example. He, was, he took mercy upon many who were not followers of him. Um, and he told us to love our enemies, right? So, and if we are to imitate him, then we need to be doing those things. Um, not losing focus on, you know, salvation and, and evangelism, but also have a care and a love for the unbeliever as well. Any other thoughts? Sorry about a couple of typos there in my notes. <laughs> Apologize. All right, well, um, I think it's been a good session.
Don, do you mind closing us up in word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the loving and special grace you've given to us as believers, that you've uh, opened our hearts to understand your word, that you have uh, brought us out of darkness into light, and that you have brought us uh, out of the realm of Satan into your realm. We thank you for that. We pray for our church, that you would uh, help it to continue to grow and to uh, love you and to also be a light and a beacon to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.